come on. Hey, hello. Well, you've probably gathered my name's Justin and we're in the garden. Who's a bit chilly? Got your jumpers, got your coat? Because I don't know where the sun's gone, but it's just gone out at that very last moment. It's there. It's coming. It's coming. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, Steve. Steve has just told me I can take as long as I want. So we're in a good place, aren't we? <laughs> so um, I don't know about you, but we've uh, been going through um, parables, haven't we? So if you want to turn to Luke 11, we're going to go through another parable of Jesus this morning and, uh, and talk through that. So if you get your Bibles out, you can have a look at that. Fantastic. But I don't know about you. I, um, have you ever used passwords and ever got to that point where you've got a password that you just can't remember? And uh, it's, it's just so frustrating because you're just about to actually get to do something so important, log into that account, buy that present, buy whatever it was. What did I buy last year? And you've forgotten that, pre- that, that password. It's just disastrous. I've even thrown things away like old computers because I can't remember the password. I'm just completely blocked. And, you know, today, I don't know who came up with the idea, but now we have it. It's not just something you have to know password. It's called double authentication. And now, and now you have to not just remember something and, and know something. You actually have to have something. So, so the double authentication is you know your password or, or your first pet's name. And, and you have something so that they can send the confirmation code to your, what's in your pocket, your, your mobile phone. Now the problem is, I don't always know where my mobile phone is. So if, if this confirmation code's going, I'm trying to, where's my phone? I can't, I'm blocked, I can't get in. Double authentication, who comes up with that? Knowing something and having something. And Jesus is taught in this passage all about prayer. He's talking about prayer again and teaching on it. And right in the middle of it, is this parable that he gives. So let's start with um, Luke 11.1. 1. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come on a journey and, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. (laughs) The door's already locked and the children are in bed. I can't get out of bed. I I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus said, I tell you that even though he will not get, get up to give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find, and knock and the door will be opened. For the one who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. But if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So right at the beginning there of that passage, we see a disciple teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but he's probably in the wrong class. He's with Jesus and he's asking Jesus, please, can I have the classroom? And I want to know the syllabus of what John teaches, but I'm with you. Jesus just isn't so proud, is he? He's just lovely. He just like wants to teach and teach and show them the way. But what did people see in John the Baptist? John, that's who we were talking about. What did they see in him that they wanted to be taught like he prayed? What, what, why would you say that? Well, we know that in, if we go back to the beginning of Luke in chapter one, it says of John, it says that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, he will never take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled full of the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So one thing that made John the Baptist perhaps different from everyone else was he was filled. Do you remember that story when Mary, with Jesus in a womb, goes to see her family and, and, and John's in the womb at the time and he leaps in the womb because Jesus in Mary's womb is it coming into the, into, the, into, into the same location. He was filled with the Holy Spirit for a very special purpose even before he was born. And so that's probably a good reason why they said teach us like John because it makes a difference to be filled full of the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus, right in the middle of this prayer time, he gives this parable, doesn't it, of this really awkward position, this, this terrible thing. Um, and what was that awkward position? It says, I have no food to offer him. You've gone to your friend late at night and you say, I have no food to offer him. Oh man, the shame. Have you ever been in a court short? Have you ever been in a place where you really don't have what it need, you need at the time? Well, back in those times, you know, to be a host was quite important. And it, you know, it's, it's not just an awkward position, it's actually you had to look after your guests. To be a host was something that the Israelites had learnt from their days of being in the wilderness and walking through the wilderness where it's desolate. And, and that whole, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a, a nice thing to be hospitable. It was almost a cultural mandate that you had to be a good host. So to not have food, it's a no-brainer. I've got to get food because they're, they're coming into your to your relationship as being a host and it's almost like you have to provide food and water and even even protection for them when they come and that's what's come out of the history so it wasn't just a cultural thing it was actually almost an obligation what they know they had to do and Jesus is saying suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say friend lend me three loaves of bread a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him so right off the bat, Jesus, they, they would all understand. They'd all understand, oh, this is calamity. This is real calamity. It's a no-brainer. He's going to go and get food because that's what you do. You look after your guests. So Jesus is teaching us to pray, saying, whatever and whenever, you can pray even late at night at midnight. Even when everyone else in the, bed, in the house has gone to bed to sleep, you can pray. You can come to your Father to pray. Whatever, the, whatever whatever your need, whatever the time. So what do you think 
in this parable, this, this, friend, this guy did with his friend. Do you think he, he settled him down in his room <laughs> and he said, yeah, here's, here's your room, um, just set yourself in. It's a bit embarrassing. I've got no food. I've got to go and get some food um, to make yourself comfortable. And then he went to the other side of town where he knew his friend would be to actually go and get resources and provision. <laughs> so when was the last time you said to somebody, I haven't got the resources. I don't have what we need, but I'm going to go and pray. When was the last time we said that? I'm going to go to pray right now. It's how we live the life that's learnt that truth. I remember reading so many great heroes of faith. One that just stuck in my mind when I was preparing was George Muller. And he was a fantastic guy who knew um, God's provision through prayer. All through his life, he would pray and see God provide for those around him for needs, etc. And in one account, he was crossing over the Atlantic to go to Quebec. And in his account, in 1877, his ship ran into thick fog. And he explained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec by the following morning. But the captain, Joseph E. Dutton, later known as Holy Joe, said that he was slowing the ship down for safety. And George Muller, uh, his appointment would have to be missed. So, George said, could I borrow the chart room to pray for the lifting of fog? And the captain followed him down, claiming it would be a complete waste of time. So after George prayed a very simple prayer, the captain got down on his knees and started to pray, and George stopped him, perhaps because of his unbelief, but mainly because George felt his prayer, although simple, had already been answered. And he said to the captain, I have known the Lord for more than 50 years, and I've never lacked an audience with my king. The captain, get up because the fog has lifted. And the two men went back on the bridge and they found the fog had lifted and George was able to keep his appointment the following after. And the captain shortly after became a Christian. Wow, I need to borrow the chart room to pray. And in this parable, I need, sorry, I, I need to just go to my friend's house to get provisions. I'm going to go and pray for this. So there's no, there's no question about the friend who's tucked up in bed lacking the provision of what's needed for this situation. Actually, it's not like that. In fact, so much so that at the end we don't hear that he gets the three loaves. No, Jesus says something different. He says, surely, surely he will get up and give you as much as you need. So you can come to God thinking, I need this, but he knows everything about you and your circumstance. And he will bring to you everything you need. Not what you want, but actually what you need. And in this story, it's almost like a lifting off of shame. I haven't got the resources and provision. God wants to lift shame off you this morning and bring that off you because he has what you need. He has what you need. Did you notice that there's a tipping point in this parable? I don't know about you, but... I've got a, a, perhaps an intimate relationship with trees. We're sitting under trees here today. <laughs> but our neighbour, the first thing they lent us when we moved into our house was a chainsaw. It's not the normal thing you get from your neighbour, but we'd actually just been talking about a hedge at the back of the house. 
which I say was a hedge. Once upon a time, it would have been a lovely hedge where you could just get a bit of privacy and see, not see the neighbors, but you could still shout and say hi. But Leylandi don't stay small for long. They're a bit like teenagers that when you're not looking, they sprout up and then they're suddenly above you. But these Leylandi were just huge. They were above the house. So I borrowed this chainsaw. And as I was the man of the moment, I was chopping each one down. Each one filled our garden. It was just crazy. But just as keen as we were, our neighbor wanted to see the sky again. So I chopped them down one at a time. This was great. One down, another one down. This one's, I knew what I was doing. I'd done a dozen times. Then I got to the last one and something different happened. So I hadn't quite figured out that trees are heavier where the green stuff is. And this last one had all its green stuff, needles, over the fence. So as I started to cut this one down, it moved and it moved in the wrong way, let's say. It moved towards the neighbors. And after a quick calculation, I, I worked out that it was gonna take not one, two, three, possibly four fences and our neighbor's greenhouse would be completely demolished. So what do you do in times of trouble? You look for a bigger tree. So I we have the biggest tree around in our front garden. So I got my rope and I tied my rope to the biggest tree that we have. And I tied it to this toppling, this precarious tree. And I tied it on and it was secure. At least it was secure and it wasn't going to go anywhere. So then millimeter by millimeter and centimeter by centimeter, I was able to pull that rope back. And hour by hour and a lot of pain and grief, I actually started to move it until the rope got loose. The tree was at the tipping point. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Without hardly any effort now, it came over into my garden. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't believe the joy that my neighbors would still talk to me and still be friendly. It was just, it's the best feeling of joy. And I don't know if you have seen it, but in this passage, in this parable, there is a tipping point. So he said, don't bother me. The children are in bed. There's a tipping point. At some point, this, this friend who he's going to for resources from a friend who suddenly just arrived. Do you get the idea this guy's perhaps got just a complicated life and too many friends? But he's going to this friend late at night and he's saying, give me three loaves of bread. And he's, and he's going, let's just keep quiet. <laughs> He'll go away. No, he's, he's still, why did we give him our address? He's just coming. And he's uh, just waiting there. No, he's, he's, ring, he's found the doorbell now. He's ringing, he's not going away. He's very persistent. No, no, now I've, my mobile phone's ringing. But at some point it tipped and the answer, he decided to get up, this friend, and give the provision. Perhaps it was, you know, wanting not to have to paint the door if the, docking, the knocking doesn't stop. But there came a tipping point. Don't stop short of the tipping point. And where is that tipping point found? It's found in prayer. Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So I have unanswered prayers. I've been praying for things for over two decades, but I don't give up because that's the promise. 
that I haven't yet found for those things that I have hold out to my heart? What do you hold into your heart? Because there is a tipping point to be found in prayer. So much so that at that point, it's almost like the answers come. I remember in small group life, praying for friends to come and know the love of Jesus as their friend. And we prayed one evening, and I just remember in that, that time, praying away, and there came a point in the evening when we all just said, it's done, it's done. And that very same week, they came to know the love of Jesus. The tipping point is found. Are you going to be a tipping point prayer to hold on to Jesus in prayer and find that? See, Jesus doesn't want you to know. What does he want you to know today? And what does he want you to not misplace? He wants you to know something. When he started, he said, when you pray, say, Father. He wants you to know you have a Father in heaven. He wants you to know that he's a good, good Father. And what did Jesus say at the very end? He said, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? These are the things that God wants you to know today. He wants you to have something and know something. The knowing is that you have a father. If you don't approach prayer, he's saying, approach a father, you, you don't know how to pray. And if you don't have something, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, then you're going to find it very difficult to come into the presence of God and know he loves you. It's not a question of, I know Jesus, I've given my life to him. It's not a question of that because you can't follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit being alive in your life. But Jesus is saying, you need to know something and have something to be so effective in prayer and know that you're loved. See, long-standing prayers, do you seem to think that prayers are um, before God in the moment and then gone? Do you see your prayers like they are like Snapchat, whereby they're before God and then instantly gone? Do you see your prayers in a way like, does God treat your prayers like GDPR? So like, after a period of time, all personal prayers are deleted for your safety. Or do you see prayers like the rain in this, this garden, whereby it rains and it soaks away out of mind and out of sight? No, because God says that prayers are before him. The psalmist, he says that, may my prayers before you be like incense. Prayers are like, you know that incense thing? You go into a room and someone's been putting incense on and it just fills the room. It's like sweet and nice and, and you can't not notice it. And Simon is saying, our prayers, oh God, let my prayers be before you and be pleasing to you and fill where you are. And in Revelation, it says that there are bowls filled full of incense, golden bowls filled full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Not just ordinary bowls, they're golden, they're precious, they're before God filled full of your and my prayers for the things that we long for. They're not just gone, they're before God. And there comes a tipping point when God, they're before God and God decides, I'm going to give. We may not see the tipping point in our lifetimes, but God will remember your prayers offered up in childlike nature before a loving God. See, at the beginning today, let me sort of finish off. At the beginning, we see the disciples saying, 
teach us, <laughs> so brave, I haven't wanted to say this, teach us to pray how John taught his disciples. You see, John, there was something about John. He had the Holy Spirit. And God told John, and John the Baptist got his name because he used to baptise people in water. God told John that he would one day see someone where the Spirit remains on them, and they'll be the one who baptises in the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus came along with John, he saw the Holy Spirit remain on Jesus' life and not go and stay. And John knew that John baptised with water, but Jesus baptises with the Holy Spirit. And right here, do you have something? Do you know you've got a loving Father? And do you have something? Have you, been, have you asked to be filled? Because Jesus is baptising people, even today, and he will do today here, if you want it. He's baptising people around. He doesn't baptise with what he baptises with the Holy Spirit so that you can know it's through the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that we know we have a loving Father. If you don't have an infilling, a pouring in of the Holy Spirit, being baptised in it, you actually don't know how much your God loves you because the Holy Spirit helps you. Yes, you do know him, but there's more to know. Just have the band back up for one song, if that's okay. So when I was 15, I gave my life to Jesus. And I knew, oh, it had gone from black and white to colour. I knew that everything I'd learned about Jesus was true. And it was suddenly he came to live in my heart and live in me. Jesus doesn't want to live and be the answer, the friend on the far side of town. He doesn't actually even want to be your next door neighbour. Jesus wants to actually live in your very own house. And not only that, he wants to live in your very own life. It says that, you know, if you love me, you will obey my word. This is what Jesus says. And I, my father and I will come and live in you and you and me. There's going to be a thing of living in each other. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes and you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's just an awakening. Now, I was born again as a Christian when I was 15. But everyone around me who somehow knew the Holy Spirit more than I did, and I, brought, I was brought up in a context where the Holy Spirit really wasn't mentioned that much. So I, I actually looked at people's lives and asked questions. I, I read, I, I, I asked, and I seeked, and I knocked. And when I was convinced, two years later, I asked in a field like here, my youth leaders to pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanted to know God and that, that promise that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And as they, as they prayed, it was like, I can only explain it, it's like I was being filled up from my feet. I was getting filled up with God and then my legs, and then they started shaking, and then, and then my body, and then my body started shaking, and then I, I was just being filled up with this Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit came. If you see someone who's been baptised in water, you see something about them, don't you? They're, they're wet. <laughs> they don't look quite as neat and tidy as they did when they went down. They, but they're normally very happy. But when you see someone who's baptised in the Holy Spirit, you see something different. You see something happening. And it's a promise. It's a promise for you. And God wants you to know today, to remember something. You have a Father in heaven who loves you. And to go find that which belongs to you and ask Jesus to fill you for the Holy Spirit. Amen.